Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yo, what's up? Alton, our stars podcast. That is the name of the show. My name is Chris Payne, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. This is uh, with an artist who made one of my most favorite albums of the year so far. I know the year 2016 is not very old yet, but their album is one that I'm pretty sure when year-end lists and that sort of thing come by, I'll be thinking about it a lot, and I hope a lot of other people will be thinking about it too. The name of the artist is Chairlift. The name of their album is Moth. It came out not that long ago, and both members of Chairlift, Caroline and Patrick, came by the Billboard office to chat with me about all sorts of things. Um, Their music is really interesting. It's really, really hard to categorize. It kind of sounds like R&B a lot of the times, but they mix in like electronic music and indie music. Honestly, I don't even know what the word indie music means anymore, but all of this comes together and it's a really good thing. Even some new age vibes in there, some new age influence, which came up in this interview and led to a really interesting discussion. We talked about their live show. We talked about this factory in Brooklyn where they record all their stuff. Patrick produces other artists. He gave us little hints of what he's working on next. Really, really fun conversation with these two. They're awesome. I had a blast doing this. So, so yeah, and if this is your first time listening and you enjoy the show, then it would be awesome if you just dug into the archives. They're all there for you. If you go to billboard.com and, or go to iTunes, search for uh, Alton R Stars on iTunes, go through the archives. Recently this year, we've had Borns on the podcast. We've had Ra Ra Riot on the podcast had Panic at the Disco on the podcast, had Ultra Nouveau, Bully, Magical Clouds, lots of fun stuff to dig into. Also, in iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast. Giving us a star rating helps a lot with everything we do, and just specific feedback. Hit us up. Um, definitely want to hear from you guys. But most of all, just thank you for listening. So here it is, Chairlift on the Alton R Stars. Enjoy. Yeah, so here at the uh, the Alton R Stars podcast with Chairlift. What's up, guys? Hey, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming by. I'm excited to talk to you guys. One thing I definitely wanted to ask you about, it was like on my mind since you guys dropped to Chang, but then it got answered for me because you did the Genius, Genius.com annotation. Mm-hmm. As soon as you dropped the song, it was the first single for the new album, Moth, to Chang. I was like... What is twenty seven nine nine twenty three? And then you revealed the secret that it was what? It's the it was the combination lock to our studio at the time. But the idea wasn't that it was referring back to our studio. That was just a handy number that we had. <laughs> we really wanted to. We really wanted to, to to be you know a combination lock in general, sort of mm-hmm. the secret password or sort of your lucky lotto numbers or even like the. You know, a number someone could use to unlock their phone with, or something, but just some a sort of secret code that could be passed along. Okay. So you guys are going on the road soon. 
have you changed the combination? <laughs> we have changed the combination. Okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want to know the new combination? It's not uh-huh. as catchy. Don't tell them, Patrick. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna tell just you. Jump in there and do some secret recording session. Yeah. Oh, a podcast. I'll, that's what I would do because I, I don't make music myself, but a, I do podcasts. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a podcast session. Yeah, we'll do a podcast with. Mm-hmm. Love yeah. it. Podcast with like the people who own this the this, the space. Well, good luck getting him on the mic. The building managers, you mean? Okay, so there's I he just threw that out there. He actually is a rapper. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sympathetic to the arts. Okay. Mm-hmm. So something's coming together here. Yeah. yeah. But he's a hard man to pin down, so. He's a hard man to pin down. Yeah. He's a good man, though. His name is Gotham. Gotham. That's a cool name, right? Yeah. That's a good, like, you say he's like a landlord sort of thing? Yeah, sort of. We made this this record in an old pharmaceutical plant that um, was abandoned by the giant pharmaceutical company in 2008. Maybe not abandoned, but they moved out of it and sold the building. And we moved in and built a studio on the second floor. Um, it's a former to, HR office. Yeah, a former HR of, okay. office of this major pharmaceutical company's um, original building. No, wait, the original building is actually across the street, but it's a building that's been around for 80, 90 years. It's huge. It's like the size of a of a big hospital. Mm-hmm. And when we moved in, there wasn't very many tenants. Um, but that's where we made almost all of this record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people can basically just picture in their heads listening a big Brooklyn factory that has been around for a century. Yeah, that's and imagine like a bunch of empty like science labs where... Lights are on all day, Lights every day. are on. No one's around. Yeah, like weird big pill machines still... I don't wouldn't even know what to call them. <laughs> I actually learned what they're called because I found out that my my landlady, God bless her soul, she passed away last year. Um, she had previously worked in the same building that we made our record in, but she was a factory girl on the night shift from 1951 to 1975. And uh, I it was only when I saw her like severance packages arriving at the door that, or you know, something to do with that 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 I asked her, you work at Pfizer? I work at the old building. And and she, you know... Caroline's just revealed the name of the company. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> no promo. No promo on the ultimate No, not at all. Um, but she told me some really interesting stories. She gave me sort of like a, a mental... She sat me down and gave me some brandy and gave me a walkthrough of what the building used to be room by room. And we found I found out all sorts of stuff about it that we never would have known otherwise. But those so big... Cool. Those big machines that are like the size of this room. They're like these rotating drums. They, they put powders in. They're called hoppers. Hoppers. And mm. we have definitely hopped inside of the hoppers because they're <laughs> I big. I got them as a listener. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> can't tell you all our secrets. <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, that's just the most badass name for a landlord in New York. Like, yo, Gotham wants a rent check. Yeah, yeah. Gotham yeah. does want a rent check. <laughs> <laughs> in general. It's cool, right? Yeah, so did you make the entire album in this space? Yeah, about much. 95% of it. There's a few little bits and pieces we did in L.A. with um, Robin Hannibal, um, who produced a couple of songs with us. Um, Some just, stuff was done at home on my own or on my laptop before bringing it in. We did stuff on laptops. You can make music on laptops now. Yeah, it's, it's a cool. new thing. Someone should tell Skrillex that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I like he'd have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> so, see, I wasn't sure if you completely self-produced the album, but so you said this one person helped out a little bit. Um, yeah, we had pretty much... I mean, it's mostly self-produced. There's a couple songs where we we had been working on them for, for a while, like maybe a year mm-hmm. or even longer, and we wanted to bring in... A, somebody with some fresh ears to bring some life to it and um sprinkle some magic dust on yeah and we met robin hannibal who we didn't know before that and yeah he's young it's like our age he's from denmark right yeah um but we hit it off with him immediately and i heard some of he has this record called bobby he does a lot of work with um um other artists but 
he did this like solo EP called Bobby that I, as soon as I heard it, I loved it and I loved okay. his production work on it. And yeah. he came, he a- added the big fat 808 bass on Chiching. Okay. Which wasn't there before. So like, that's it, like a very memorable part of the album. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I got in there and, and, um, Waiter, I'm trying not to cuss. You can, you can. <laughs> I got in there and screwed with it a little bit, like did all the like pitchy down things, and mm. he he had added in the boom, 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 and then I did boo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we brought Chiching to him. We brought Show You Off, and what was the third one? Moth to the Flame. Moth to the Flame. That's right. Yeah. So Robin. Sprinkle his magic on those three. Okay, because as, as you had that pause and you were trying to think of the song, I was thinking like Moths of Flame because you said like the big bassy part in Cha-Ching. I was just thinking where else is something like that on the album, that big heavy driving beat like that makes you want to dance on Moths of Flame. I Well, that basic groove was already in place before that song was brought to him, but the Robin's most poignant contribution to Moth is that big snare fill going into the last chorus. It's very, like, you know, very... You know, mm-hmm. and we, we laughed when we first heard it because we thought, oh man, that's a very sort of commercial thing that we would never do ourselves. And then after listening to it three times, we were like, nope, there's no way that's leaving. We love that way too much. That is not going anywhere. So sometimes we have a hard time doing the super like obvious thing. And yeah. that was something that Robin um, helped us not be afraid of. In, yeah. in certain places, and not, I, and maybe it's just because neither of us ever quite think of that super obvious thing yeah. right right off the bat. Sometimes the yeah, sometimes the reason the 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 obvious thing is obvious is because it works really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. but. Yeah, and I bet just having some cause probably when you're working with something that you're creating for a really long time and just like going over it time and time again, just having like a fresh set of ears and eyes come in and take a look at it, just find something new that you wouldn't have thought about. It's it's huge. It's important. And we've always found different ways of doing that on all the records we've made. Definitely. And then you want to take it to a mixer. It's like we could mix the record ourselves, but at the end of it, it's like you want to hand it all off to somebody who's just hearing it for the first time and and see what else they can do. I think in general, the thing that Patrick and I need need a a, f- a third pair of ears for is, is usually subtraction, because both of us love layering. We'll layer and layer and layer and layer. And when we started out making this record, we both said to ourselves, "We want to make um, a record that has more space in it, you know, more uh, audio space mm-hmm. in it than anything we've made before, and it has more empty space, more negative space. And I think songs like Unfinished Business, for example, were sort of like, you know, that that almost is the character of that song, is how empty it is. Or like the, the song that's the closer of the record, which is called No Such Thing as Illusion. But then with the pop songs, particularly Show You Off, we had such a hard time because we were just jam-packing that song full of sounds and Mm -hmm. they weren't all sitting together. And then it was, you know, it's nice to have a pair of ears like Robin who actually just comes in and mutes stuff. And that sounds (laughs) great. (laughs) So, so, you know. Take out some tracks. Yeah, just, you know, kill some of your children and then... Exactly. Everybody everybody eats, man. Toss toss them into the, what are they, the hops? Yeah. Robin's listening today. Thanks for killing our babies. He's just shaking his head like, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, we're getting better at that too. Because we just have more experience as producers, both working on our own stuff and stuff with other people, and independently. I think we're we're learning, you know, just with experience how an arrangement shakes down and how you know when you have too much. Yeah. So I still get the impression that you two had more control more of everything over this album than the first two albums would you say that's true in in some ways i i do think 
that that's true. It's not like that we didn't have enough control before, but I think from the, the beginning of making this record, we knew what we wanted our approach to be from the very beginning, and and the whole pr process was designed by the two of us and not by anybody else. We were actually like at a turning point in our career where we we did we were switching managers which so we didn't have a manager for the first year and a half of making this album making this album like uh, the A&R that had signed us to Columbia was gone and we it was just kind of the two of us for the first time just kind of on our own like thinking like what are we going to do next and it was kind of awesome and, it, and no it, manager no A&R <laughs> we were just sort of we didn't really need it we were sort of in a bubble just on our own working yeah so we hit up um one of the big guys at Columbia and we were just like hey we want to do it like this we want to we want to move into this old pill factory and produce the record ourselves and no we haven't written anything yet but we're gonna get on it ASAP and we're gonna do it at our own pace and worked out for us I think. but I think it might not have worked out for us any earlier in our careers like and like you were saying it might sound like we have more control on this record than ever before. And I think it's also because our skill sets are more um, precise. And so we can think, you know, we have we have more detailed ideas of what we want than we did mm -hmm. at the beginning. You know, at the beginning, we were thinking more in terms of genre or like big strokes, like, oh, we want the song to have a slide guitar and we want there to be some country lyrics. Okay. And then we want to make it sort of psychedelic mm -hmm. by adding delay. And uh, And we weren't really thinking in terms of, you know, what we wanted the color of the sound to be like, or we wanted, you know, um, to, to do with rhyme scheme or what we wanted to do with our snare sound. Whereas now, you know, we think, we think in much more precise terms. So, you know, I think, I think another thing that's, that's sort of very chairlift is that we jump all over in terms of dynamic within a record. Like on the first one, it almost was like a mixtape that from song to song, it was like, is this even the same band? And then on the second record, we got the palette quite consistent, but even mood-wise, it, 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 mood it jumped around a lot. And then this time, I think, you know, we could actually think in those terms, too. Even before we'd written anything, this is we knew, had a sort of flavor in mind that we mm -hmm. wanted. Flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline's making very... What's that share of flavor? Uh, hand gesture. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> It's an inside joke, but um, okay. okay. But uh, but yeah, I think I think you know we're we're dialing it in with everything we do. It's part of the part of the journey. Yeah, so I find it really interesting, you guys, being being artists who came from really like an independent background, being with Columbia now and doing really neat things with them. And you mentioned the changeover and just basically the two of you pitching your plan for this. What is it like being like coming from where you came from? that independent world and working in this, you know, in the industry. When we first jumped into it, because Columbia signed us right after we released our first record. So we didn't make that first record with them. We made that with an indie label and then they bought it. But it was really our last record, our our second record, which is called Something, that we got a taste of working with a major label for the first time. Um, yeah, and we, we had... There's, we had to learn how to navigate that whole process, and I feel like it's a big turning point for the the music industry in general. And so everybody was trying to navigate it, and like, mm -hmm. you know, with like pop and indie music, like becoming there was less like definition between them. I don't know. Everybody's kind of figuring out how to navigate it. Yeah, I mean, the industry itself was really restructuring itself around that time, too. It was like just hemorrhaging, you know, trying to trying to figure out how to how to make digital and streaming a sort of sellable thing. So a lot of people were losing their jobs while we were there. There was a sort of like fear Mm -hmm. in general in the industry at that time and then we were I mean I, I can speak for myself more than for Patrick but I was pretty generally defensive at that time I didn't want to be a slick major label canned kind of thing and so I felt like at every possible junction I was sort of like keeping that at arm's length and saying no we are this no we are this you know these are our references and it's it's unusual and it's dark and it's complex and it's you know, it's self-contained, and we don't want this help. And then, 
I, something between then and now changed, both in the industry and with us. And and now I think maybe just we're grown up and maybe just more confident, but we, we're working much more closely with the label and saying, okay, here's the feeling one want to achieve and here's how you guys can help and here's what we can give you so that you can make your motor work and here's what you can yeah. give us so our motor can work and it's so harmonious now and it's also you know some of the people on our team at the label now we've been working with for six years and we just know each other really well so it's I don't know it feels like like a like it feels good now and I get the impression that even though it was just the one album with K9 that being able to have a little bit of time to put music out before the major label game, to put things out with an indie label and kind of get your footing, get some confidence, that must give you like lots of perspective, like a foundation now. It's hard to say. Can't imagine it happening happening any other way. Because some some artists will just like put up a couple singles that go to like number one on hype machine or something. Right. They get offered a major label contract and they take it because I mean it's the best thing on the table for them. And then after that, it can be rough. It's a lot of pressure. That's true. Yeah, I think I think people get a, like a false impression that like a label can really like do things. For you, I'm not saying they don't do anything, but, like it's, what they but it's like it's like more than artists relying on labels. And I feel like anybody at a at a good record label would would agree with this. It's like they like working with artists who know what they want to do and like have a clear vision. It's like yeah. they're not necessarily trying to turn you into something yeah they want they want to sign people that have a strong vision and if you're not at the right point in your career when you like get signed to a major label contract or whatever and then you're assuming like okay now I can like sit back and just do whatever they tell me they don't that's not what they're looking for I think that they do better with artists that are like driven that are Mm. driven and keep and keep moving things forward. Um, when I was a kid, I used to have this idea that, like, you know, you look at a you'd look at a big famous pop star, and and you know, I'm, this is like little alt punk middle school Caroline, and, and and I would say like, oh, that's not that's not the artist. That's just a bunch of label people, and the artist is just sort of a face for it, just like a money making puppet. But n- I'm not sure if it's simply that things have changed, but from the experience that we've had in the industry, yeah, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing how the people who are very successful, you know, regardless of whether or not I like their music, they wake up foaming at the mouth for it. It's, there's not, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by a bunch of label people working, pushing your image. You have to want it real bad. Um, that's, you know, that's the only way it happens now. Yeah. And I think that's reassuring, too, f- for an artist. Cause it's, it's true. It you know, should be, I yeah. think. And from a label's perspective, it makes sense because the artist who's very driven, like you said, Caroline, they're making the label's job easier. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and also I think the sort of album you guys made with Moth is very – if I was – if I was someone who was hip to like interesting stuff at a major label, that's what I would want to put out because it's like an arm, like already like lots of people into indie music or alternative like you guys. And I feel like people who like R and B music who might not really know who Chairlift is would hear those songs and really like it. I hope so. I'm like yeah, you guys are like yeah, this sounds good. I hope so. I'm, I'm, I've been a massive R and B fan for forever for most of my life it's a, been a huge influence on me yeah i'm interested in, in um like some stuff you've produced because you did the wet album recently yeah i did parts of the wet okay. album. they did a lot of it themselves so i don't want to take too much credit <laughs> but they're my little babies i love them yeah what what is it about working or like fostering like talent with newer artists what what makes you enjoy that um I feel like I've always had a natural tendency to do that. Um, I, with a lot of the people that I work with, it's, for me, it's about, like, discovering something new and, like, working with people at the early 
points in their career and like when when uh when the artist is like trying to discover their sound and now actually after being you know i've i've been working as a musician and a producer since 2008 and for somebody that's just coming into it now it's like i have six or seven years of experience and a lot of things have changed some things haven't and i think i have a at least an interesting perspective on how to make records the way that you want to make records and kind of and not um, buying into too much else except for making the record that you want to make. I don't know how to sell records, mm. but I do know how to make, how to help people make the records that they want to make. Yeah, basically the sentiment we were all talking about, about the artist who just has their vision. Like you're saying, you're helping them zero in on what that is. Yeah, yeah. Patrick's also a good producer for an artist who's just starting out. It's He never puts pressure on anyone in the studio. It's a very like, comfortable environment. Mm-hmm. You never, you never, I mean, I remember when we were just getting started, you know, we'd end up doing, doing sessions or I'd end up doing guest vocals with different people. And I definitely know the feeling of showing up to like a slick studio with some guy who wants to make sure that you know that they know everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, a serious producer. Yeah, a very serious <laughs> one, right? Um, but there's a lot of those, a lot of those people out there who, who artists end up in the hands of when they're just getting started. Um, but Patrick's not one of them. No. I like for people to be comfortable. And I think there was something like with with Wet, I, I got in with them right when they were about to embark on making their first full-length record. And my relationship with them, I really, I saw a lot of what what we had been through six or seven years before. I saw them like going through it. They had like this sort of label frenzy around them. Everybody wanted to sign them, and and then they were coming into my studio, which I had just convinced like our studio, our studio, sorry, (laughs) our studio, which we had just convinced like Columbia Records to the Gotham Studio. Yeah, Uh, yeah, let's be real. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Where you know where we had just like gotten this the label to you know fun this kind of quirky idea for how to make a record and and it was a very safe space and it was a very creative space and I think in those couple of months we just started to trust each other a lot and and that's important with people you're making records with you gotta trust them mm-hmm. yeah is there anything you're working on right now or coming up that you can talk about um I'm working on an EP with this girl, Kelsey Liu, who is amazing. She's a cellist and a singer. And we just recorded an EP in this church in um, Greenpoint. Okay. It's like a live recording. And I've just been mixing that this past week. Mm. And it's amazing. She's stunning. Yeah, incredible talent. Mm-hmm. Mm. And she did... Um, she played uh, cello on the wet record when okay. I did the strings for that record. Mm. There are a lot of reverb puns that you guys are making in the studio <laughs> with the word wet, because you know, for <laughs> for non nerds, when you're in when you're in a recording studio, and you're talking, you're saying, can you can you make it wet or can you make it dry? Or you're just talking yeah. about reverb saturation. Okay. Mm-hmm. So is there? Did that happen a lot? Or was Their that record just so not ended funny? up very wet with <laughs> with Tom Elmhurst at the but was mixing that a, console. Was that something you guys even laughed about, or was that just so I not try, even? I try not to um, make any remarks about a band's name in the studio. It's <laughs> <laughs> so a good rule. Well played. Like, <laughs> See, I wouldn't. That's where you and I are different. Otherwise, Patrick. I, I would have like. Otherwise, really exploited the that chairlift one. never would have gotten anything done. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't let don't make me say what your first band name was, Patrick. <laughs> I I've had some bad band names. Can you say? Anything? I think what's a good band name? I though. think what's a great band name. Yeah. Mm. Can I say no? No. No. I don't think chairlift is a good band name, but we're stuck with it. Hopefully, <laughs> we're at that point where like you know where people stop questioning what it is. I remember when I first heard the name like TV on the radio, I was like, that's a horrible band name. <laughs> and then I heard the music and I love the music and I never thought about it again. 
but but, yeah, uh, same thing with Portishead, away. same thing with Radiohead. I was like, these names are horrible, mm. but they all make a wonderful yeah, the names music. So. Go away eventually. It and just sort of becomes like this, a yeah, yeah. like a subconscious thing when you just you don't even think about the words; they're so common. Yeah. You know. talk about a chairlift show i was at recently it was uh national sawdust in brooklyn mm-hmm. it was a really good show one thing i was thinking of on the way out so follow me on this and see if right. this connects especially on the album something i've always felt like vibes of new age music in chairlift okay and as the show ended the first two songs the DJ played were Return to Innocence and Enya Sail Away. And I was like, this is perfect. So was that planned? No, but I, I will confess that I pretty much only listen to new age music outside the studio. And okay. it's actually becoming almost problematic to the point that I'm wondering, oh my God, am I like, am I getting old or what's going on? <laughs> because that's all I listen to. I make like playlists that are like yoga playlists or like bath time playlists. And that becomes the only thing I want to listen to. Um, <laughs> I think especially living in a place like New York city, when you're so, um, when your senses are so overstimulated and when you're so busy that I'm, I find myself so drawn to really calm and really beautiful music. Um, Right, I guess for the last six months, a record that I've been obsessively listening to um, is a project called Bing and Ruth. They have a, a record that came out last year called Tomorrow Was the Golden Age. And they have a new record they put out more recently, but their previous one is the one I keep listening to. It's so beautiful. It's simple piano strings. Uh, I think there's some flute, but it's all so processed by way of looping and, and reverb that it just becomes this sort of cloud and it's so nice. But um, but yeah, I do listen to a lot of New Age music. I was raised on New Age music effectively because okay. when, when I was a kid, I had um, pretty, in, I, had pretty um, I think severe is the wrong word, but I was very ADHD and I had divorced parents. And I, my mom would notice that when I would come back from staying at my dad's house for the weekend, I'd get really wound up. I'd, I was you know, excited to be back at my mom's house and um, it would be 9 p.m. and she'd be trying to put me to bed and I would just be running around the house and she couldn't get me to calm down. So she started buying New Age albums at Barnes & Nobles just based on the co- album covers okay. and would put, you know, be things like rainforest music or like, I mean, obviously Enya, um, uh, like Harold Budd, stuff like that. And, and so I grew up listening to that kind of music ambiently. And then in school, when you know, I was studying, I was a philosophy minor and that work, it requires so much focus. I would listen to Brian Eno, Music for Airports, or um, Mark Isham, va- Vapor Drawings. And that music was hugely influential on, on um, my synth practice, the kind of synthesizer music I like to make. Mm. So what you're hearing is real. However, we did not select those two songs. <laughs> that was our sound guy, David. That was anyway. perfect then. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, David. So what was, Remind me the name of the Strings and Piano project you've been listening to. Um, the, the band is called Bing and Ruth, B-I-N-G and R-U-T-H. And the album is called Tomorrow Was the Golden Age. Okay. So I need I need to dig deeper with this stuff because I basically listen to like the Enya standards and pure moods. I need I need to do better. Oh than that. no no no, yeah it goes <laughs> that those those are like those are like the. It's like, come on. Yeah, that's like the Coca Cola of of ambient <laughs> music. Goes deep. Okay. But yeah, I admit when I talk about new age music, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Well, so. a good place to start with new age music is sort of like um, when it started was the early '80s, and there was a label, an American label called Wyndham Hill, that was making the best. Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, it was it was doing like fusion and and world, but not in that like tacky way that you'd expect. But like uh, for example, Steve Jobs was a big fan, and it's even in his biography that talks about how he was living in this apartment with like one piece of furniture and his Wyndham Hill records. <laughs> so I think Wyndham Hill actually became that the this that label actually became the sort of sound that our idea of technology and like luxury technology actually is still referencing. Yeah, I got yeah, I got the vibe I'll, on most tracks on something, especially a song like Frigid Spring, 
that. Well, that's that's um, that's an homage to '60s psych. That okay. Song. Um, and the one on the new album where I get it the most, definitely more than others, is "Crying in Public." Oh, yeah, that's awesome. The way the the way your vocals sound, it's that like entrancing, calming f- feel. There's a section right after the chorus when the sound of the vocals change; it gets really airy. It yeah, goes, yeah. Love will that's it. Yes, that. Yeah, I call I call that kind of vocal tone Wendy, and Wendy was the 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 background singer in the 80s band called Prefab Sprout and 80s yeah, and and Wendy's vocals are always processed in a really signature way always they almost sound auto-tuned even though they didn't exist at the time um and and really airy and almost kind of angelic so that was a little Wendy moment on that song where else is Wendy in Trail of Music oh Wendy's all over the place um where else I belong in your arms in the chorus when you um, sing I, that's almost too like bouncy. Okay. I'm trying to think. Um, a song off, off our last record called "Turning." That's. Mm-hmm. There's a little Wendy in there. Um, take it out on me. The chorus. Um. Were you singing "Take it out on me"? No, that's like almost full. Like. Okay. I don't know. That's like almost too like dramatic. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. There are some other, particularly backing vocals. Okay mentally going through our songs right now there's a little bit in polymorphing those things okay okay all throughout it so do you have other names or other (laughs) oh yeah are there oh Oh, yeah i I just dug into something bigger besides wendy what else is there oh man um well, there's Tots, which is short for Tatsuro Yamashita, who's a Japanese funk singer that I'm obsessed with. And he does this really sort of swoopy thing. Have you ever seen swallows hunting for, for insects at, at dusk? You I know, can you'll be like it. at a friend's swimming pool and the sun's going down and suddenly there's a bird that is like, whoa, that thing just passed way too close okay. to my head. But his voice sort of does that. It just goes, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And uh, and and I love it. And I was listening to a lot of Tatsuya Yamashita while we were making this record. So so there are a couple moments like in Show You Off and in Moth of the Flame where there's what I call like a Tots ad lib. Mm-hmm. What else if do we have? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's all coming to life now. <laughs> you are what you eat, man. Let's talk about dancing too. Um, dancing has definitely been a big part for you, Caroline, in some of Cherlif's videos for um, for "I Belong in Your Arms," for uh, "Ching." Where did it start for you with dancing? Did you were you ever like take classes? Did someone teach you? Did you dance with, like where wh- where did your dancing start? Well, I don't claim to be a dancer, um, but I do love dancing. Um, 
I think, Would I you guess say the first, that it started with Eminem Amnesia? It started with Eminem Amnesia in a hotel room in London. And we just, um, we'd, I guess, done our very first session with Dan Carey. It was sort of like a test session that we did with him before we decided to produce the record with him. We flew to London for a couple days. Mm-hmm. And we spent one day in the studio with him. And, and I think we retracked a vocal or something. And I was back in the hotel room. It was afternoon. And I put the bounce on my laptop and started found myself in front of the mirror. I had just gotten out of the shower, nude, wet, in front of the mirror, doing these. It, it looked like sign language. And that was really cool to me, doing essentially surrealist sign language to this song. And, um, and so I, I had that thought in my mind, OK, I want, I want to make a sign language music video for the song. And then when it finally came time to make the music video, the sign language just evolved to be bigger and bigger and bigger and take over my whole body. And so it became dancing. And I effectively choreographed this thing that I wasn't even physically able to do because I, I couldn't gracefully string all the different movements together. So I I, uh, I met a girl at the buffet table of a Meredith Monk benefit that Cherylift played at. We were both oh, yeah. hovering over the buffet table and she mentioned she was a dancer. And I said, oh, do you have a card? I need I need help from a dancer with something. Mm-hmm. And she's jury and she became one of my closest and best friends but she coached me with Eminem Amnesia she came we we booked time at a dance space and she helped me string all the different pieces together in one fluid way essentially helped me make connections so that I could just do all the moves in sequence Mm. and um and then she went on to coach the Ramona Lisa project that I did two years ago which is sort of similar um but movement is a really cool way to explain lyrics to people without having to get literal. You can stay abstract and you can stay expressionistic, but you know, you, it's like illustration. It's like moving illustration. So it's also really, really fun. It's an adventure because especially coming at it as a non-dancer, I don't really have the vocabulary and I don't really have a sense of what's good and what's bad. So I feel like it's it just comes down to risk. Like yeah. how far are you willing to expose yourself how far are you willing to go to expose yourself? And also, how f- how much are you willing to work? Because it's not never going to look good unless you work hard. I'm not a natural dancer mm-hmm. by any means. So I do have to practice to make things look acceptable. Yeah. It, uh, go ahead, Patrick. I was say I'm a very natural dancer. Okay. Patrick is. The more he drinks, too, I will say. <laughs> the, footwork, the footwork gets more complex with this one. So you're someone who dances a lot more from like the waist down, like lots of feet action? Uh, no, I or use, everything. I use I use it all. I use everything. It all, Chris. What I want to start doing is like exploiting the fact that we have this bad band name of chairlift and uh, <laughs> and start to do like chair choreography, like for fans to be able to do to the songs too. So it's like chair dancing. Mm-hmm. So if you're like mm-hmm. at work and you're listening mm-hmm. to polymorphing, there's like a dance you can do in your chair. <laughs> that could be kind of incorporated with. People, you know, who people who sit on those big blow up balls because it's better for your oh, yeah. back or, or stand up desks. Medicine what, balls, right? Yeah, with, with like this revolution in office sitting culture, turning it into an exercise. <laughs> there you go. This is a good idea. You could try that Chair out. Chair dancing. We, yeah. we, we, in, in the old billboard office, we did have someone who sat on a medicine ball. We don't have that now, but we do have a couple stand up people. Our managers have a very futuristic office. Sometimes you walk in there and everyone's at their standing desks. They even had like custom Nike sneakers made with their names embroidered on them. It's very cute. They go to the office, put their sneakers on, stand at their desks. It's like mm-hmm. a they new world. They got that sponsorship. <laughs> they actually probably did. Sup, <laughs> Nike? Uh, that's funny. I have a friend um, who works in Tennessee somewhere. I forget what he does. He used to be a bass player in one of... Um, my first band which is uh, called what? that band was called Habit with two B's like the like nun's the hat nun, okay. like, like the nun's hat so I tried to trick you there Yeah, oh, I, it gets worse <laughs> that, that was one of the that wasn't such a bad name um, but he, he was testing out Moth you know, our new record in his cubicle at work and I, th- I think he texted me he was like this is it's great cube rock. All right. He like invented a name for this like cubicle. Sh- yeah, like rock. cube rock. Does that can can that be a new terminology? That's like my life because I write about a lot of rock music for Billboard. And I work in office with a cubicle, mm-hmm. so you basically just define my life. Um, is there certain music <laughs> that works better in that situation? Um. Enya music for when <laughs> I want to chill out in my cubicle. 
Enya's. But it's Cuba. political, right? Because you can't play stuff that's going to piss off your cubicle oh, neighbors. Oh, I, I have headphones on. Yeah. Oh, I see. I'll have to ask him if he was wearing headphones or not. Yeah. Very. Yeah, there's lots of social aspects to that because you could have a headphones office because, like, at Billboard, it's like that because everyone's listening to music during the day, so mm-hmm. you can't have one person picking. But if it was probably any other kind of place that didn't revolve around music, it might be a social thing where there's like one, you know, person in charge of that who's the music person who plays the music, and everyone else goes kind of like, oh, all right, all right. Mm-hmm. I was at an office recently where they had a no headphones rule, which I thought was kind of interesting because it means that everyone has to be in this sense of like I'm responsive and I'm here and we're here together we're working together now I forget where that was mm-hmm. and at our office it's just you're going to listen to this one song over and over again all day until it's perfect yep because the office <laughs> is where the song is made <laughs> yeah. yeah actually while we were doing a lot of our making of our record there was a charity that moved in on the other side of our studio and those poor people working in a windowless cubicle office just hearing the drum beat for Show You Off for a year. Yeah. We felt like we owed them like a like a cocktail party when the album was done to like come listen to the songs. But they, they moved out. Mm-hmm. They asked us to build a second wall and then they moved out a couple months later. They used to be chairlift fans. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm so glad we're talking about offices. This was not expected. (laughs) And I would think that you, being musicians and touring a lot, one would just think that offices would never be on your mind because you seem just very far away from office life. But, yeah, I guess 2016 New York, everyone's just sort of caught up in an office. My husband works in an office, so I, I get to hear about it every day. Nice. Hear about the water cooler? No, they don't have a water cooler, but I do hear about like lunch hour politics, you know, like he didn't he didn't get to take his lunch hour. His lunch hour got moved back or things like that. Oh, okay. I thought it was going to be about like, oh, someone sat down at the lunch table and everyone else got up and left. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he, he works at an elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> he probably wouldn't mind actually. <laughs> Uh, one other thing I definitely want to ask you guys for your opinion on. What do y'all think of uh, new Beyonce song and video formation? I think that it's the best video I've may- maybe ever seen, ever. Yeah, the imagery yeah. in that video is so strong. It almost, that that car sinking scene is like, it reminded me of something out of a Hodorowsky film. It's just so on the money and intense. Um, the song is... There's so many, it almost feels like it's five songs packed into one, yeah. not musically, but message wise. Um, I think, I think the, I think the general message is really important, which is that, you know, black, black people need to love themselves and not, you know, not be ashamed for any part of their physiology. And, and I feel that way about everyone in general, but, you know, it's particularly, I think, important to discuss that right now. Yeah, so hopefully more Beyonce things coming forward. Oh, I have no doubt. I think I feel like this is just the beginning of a bunch of stuff that she's about to drop. Yeah, are you going to the tour? I don't have tickets yet, but I really want go. to. Yeah, we should yeah. go. Columbia. There's uh, I got tickets to one of the shows at um, Barclays a couple of years ago, and there's this, and I I had these good tickets that her sister had given me mm-hmm. and it was like there was a second stage and like midway through the concert she she like gets on this she like flies out to the second stage like flies over the audience and then I was like front row for this part of the show and I swore that she looked at me and she waved and smiled and I was like oh my god I swear I'm like I'm like hitting my wife not hitting my wife but like <laughs> tapping my wife like look, Beyonce she's just, probably looking at the just, same direction she probably she, saw it she just she just I swear she just like waved at us she just she just smiled and waved at us and Jill was like no there's no way um, she's just but then I was Patrick. I was talking to Solange a couple of days later I was like I swear I swear your sister saw me and she waved in the middle of the concert and then she like hit up her sister she's like 
she saw you that way. Was She's like, oh, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was for yeah, you. Pat- Tell you. Tell him, yeah. Yes. That was a, a highlight of one of the great moments of my life. Mm. When Beyonce picked me out of the crowd and just gave me a little wave. You're going to carry that forever. Like, I mean, that's forever. a big thing for anyone. <laughs> Write it on your, on your tombstone, Patrick. Yeah. Got the Bay Wave. Oh, yeah. It sounds so San Francisco. The Bay Wave. Ride the, ride the Bay Wave. <laughs> so pretty much covers everything I wanted to talk about. I think we touched on a lot of interesting things. Some of them I did not expect to talk about. Cube Rock. Cube Rock. Enya. Wait, no. I was, I was hoping we would us. talk a lot about Enya. Um, I was hoping. What else? To recap. To recap. To recap. Mm-hmm. Some projects coming up that you're working on, Patrick. Uh, yeah. This was fun. This was fun. So, yeah, that's the show. I, as you could probably tell, I had a blast talking to those two. And I hope you enjoyed it also. So... Yeah, if if you liked that, would love to hear feedback you have about the show. Hit me up on Twitter at C-Pain on a Plane, or like I said before, just a star rating on iTunes helps immensely with everything we do on the podcast. You can get there by clicking on the iTunes link towards the bottom of the story. If you're viewing this on Billboard.com, that is, go to like the bottom graph. It's right there, or you can just search for Alt and Our Stars. That's the name of the show. Search for that on iTunes. You can get, go to the archived episodes there. Subscribe to the podcast. A new one drops every Friday afternoon on Billboard.com. Can't really give any hints or give away who I have coming up on the podcast, but I can say that I'm just very, very excited with a couple people who are going to be on. Some of the bigger, biggest artists we've had so far, some of the most exciting like this one i'm very very excited for where alton our stars is headed so yeah definitely welcome all the feedback it's fantastic until next week have a good weekend everybody peace out imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.